Hey guys, welcome back to Edge of the Bed podcast. I'd like to thank anyone who's joined us today. I'm Ryan Gadsby and I'm the host. Uh, in today's episode, we've got Tabitha Brooks coming on. She's the host of the Love Me Lab podcast, which is an, an amazing uh, sort of self-help uh, narcissistic abuse recovery podcast. So she's a narcissistic abuse survivor and um, she has such an amazing story of, um, you know, rebuilding her life after... Uh, narcissistic abuse and uh, yeah I just really enjoy it. she has amazing guests on her podcast as well so I'll leave the podcast in the description please go and check it out and her Instagram um, so yeah go take a look and um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it so yeah let's get right into the episode welcome to the podcast thank you thank um, you for having me on the podcast I'm really excited to have you, have you on I've been listening I've been binging all year all your podcast episodes this last Have week you? and um and yeah can i can i just say one thing before we start okay let's get this violet <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say it on yours i was gonna say because we just filmed the podcast um on on tabitha's podcast which is um love me sorry lab love me lab that's it yeah um, so if you want to check that out i'll leave it in the description mm-hmm. um and i wanted to say Oh, can I say that the the, the intro? Line. Totally say that. <laughs> um, Let's get this fire yeah. lit. Yeah, my fire's oh, yeah. over there now. Mm-hmm. I have uh, like a little lamp here that can be my fire. Okay, yeah. I got my Himalayan salt uh, salt lamp back there. That's oh, nice. lit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got myself a Zen garden, and I don't really know what to do with it. I just like I just. I just play with it a little bit and like with a little rake. a miniature one, yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably all you're supposed to do with it. Mm. I don't so know. So there's no like special like ritual thing. Is it just? Sure, there is. Mm. <laughs> we need to read the Japanese. Um. So I brought... yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. So I brought you on to tell your story. Um. You got a story including narcissistic abuse recovery and you also suffered from a back injury and that left you bed bound for two years yeah yeah wow you have been listening (laughs) (laughs) the murray's yeah go ahead um so yeah so do you want to start off at the beginning you have to go you know the very beginning i was born on december 7th i'm just kidding (laughs) that's kind of where it all started it started before that, though, and that's the interesting thing. I I like to think about and talk about and study generational trauma. Obviously, you know, this doesn't start just out of the blue. This kind of control and abuse and manipulation, it doesn't, doesn't come from nowhere. It's developed over time. And I truly think that narcissists are made, not born. Um. So yeah, from the very beginning, you know, I think my my mom's story, like the story of her childhood was so much a part of my own life as a as a kid growing up, you know, it was constantly told to me how abusive her situation was and how controlling and paranoid and violent and and sexually abusive my grandfather was. So I lived with all these things and I saw that my mom tried to be the opposite of all of that. You know, I I saw that she was trying to be not that, (laughs) but it was almost this 
huge need to control everything and control us and control herself. And I could see when she was really, really fighting her natural inclinations at times to not be what my grandfather was or how she viewed him. And there was a lot of alcohol involved with him. So like alcohol was out. She would drink occasionally, but she always made a really big deal of like, I'm only having a glass of wine or whatever it was. Um, But she almost took pride in that too. So I, my story is, is long and it's hard to tell. That's why I've never really kind of tried to encapsulate it. But the gist of it is my father is an ordained minister. He was in ministry from much before I was born and he was working for a top televangelist um, in the 1970s in Dallas, Texas. So those, you know, wacky people you see on like Christian television dancing around and sweating while they preach and all that stuff. You know, my dad was like his number two guy. And so my mom came into the picture and, you know, she was 24. He was almost 40. He went after her hard. He was a widower and he wanted to get married again and have someone to take care of his adopted son, who was about five at the time. Um, so then I was born and almost two years later, my sister was born. Our family was very religious. My father was always, you know, he's a minister. And my mom was like this gospel singing, like she was a beauty queen. So in Texas, that's kind of a, a bigger deal. I feel like it's, I don't know. It's the whole Texas thing. Um, <laughs> but I grew up with this mother who was just, I mean, she's gorgeous. Um, but it also was like definitely a fading thing. Like it was it was fading. So she was kind of living in her glory days my whole life, like living in the past a lot. So I grew up thinking I could never measure up to her. I could never, I was never going to be anything on my own. It was just this very, like, my mom was it. (laughs) Yeah. And do you remember like how that came to be? Like what sort of thing, is it the way she acted, the things she said, what sort of things like Yeah. And it's really hard to pinpoint because it is so, it's so, it's hidden. It's hidden. They call it hidden abuse because it's, (laughs) it's like, you can't pinpoint it. And if that's all, you know, when you were born into it, it's like, that's just how, that's just the way it is. You grow up with these feelings and these sensations and, and it's just, that's your reality. That's the story that you're telling yourself about what's going on in the way that your parent is relating to you. And so, you know, it came out as I got older, it came out in more, um, overt ways. You know, she would flirt with my friends in high school. She would flirt with my doctors. She would, she almost would compete with me, with my peers in the romantic sense. And it was really strange. It was embarrassing, but it was also this feeling of like, she's, you know, she's better than me. She's always going to win. She's always going to get the guy. She's like, whatever it is, (laughs) it was just this really strange thing. Um, and looks were very important in my family, the way that we looked and the way we presented ourselves, the way that we dressed, it was all controlled by her. You know, she bought our clothes even when I was 30. So that's the thing is like, it didn't, it wasn't just my childhood. This carried over into my twenties and I didn't, I didn't actually escape my parents' house until I was 30 years old. And it, 
it all started making much more sense the more I could look at it as an adult, but still with the eyes of like, this is my family and this is my home. It was really strange. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance there, but she was very narcissistic. She had a lot of narcissistic rage. She, I knew how not to trigger her. I was, I was the kid who, who knew how to be, I was kind of the golden child for a long time. I was also the invisible kid for much of that time, but I got to a certain age and I was the one who was responsible for everything. They leaned on me for a lot of things. I became responsible for them financially at at points. And it was just a lot put on my shoulders. And I didn't realize that all of this was basically me being used. And I had found out later, like my brother was being used because he had been adopted and his first mother adoptive mother had died and they were like my parents were using her social security check like that was supposed to go to him you know they were taking that from him basically and it wasn't being used for what it was supposed to be used for and we all felt pretty disposable I think we all felt like if we weren't somehow being able if we weren't somehow able to be used up by them we were going to become obsolete we weren't really worth much. Um, I'm and trying like, to think of. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, and like for people who may feel their like relationship is a bit like odd with their parents, and what <laughs> what what kind of thing would you say they can pinpoint? Um, like what characteristics, what emotions would you say um, are involved with that like kind of abuse? Yeah, I think there's a, I think initially there's a lot of fear there. I had extreme fear of my mother. It was just, it was, it was not irrational fear because I knew, I fully believed that if she got angry enough, like I could be killed. Like I just believed that. It was just a belief that I had. It was the reality that I lived with. I did not feel safe in my home. And yet it was my home and I wanted to try to make a home of it. You know, I wanted my mom to be a mom. I wanted to be close to her. I wanted to be nurtured by her. And the only way that I could get that was by being exactly what she wanted me to be. And I knew that if I diverted from that or if I became my own person or stated my own opinion or what I thought, or if I told her, you know, anything about what I thought about what she was doing, which there was a lot of stuff. So I can give some examples. I can try to. It's... (laughs) all like this is the general feeling that you have it's fear and then as you get older you I think you get angry and you're suppressing a lot of anger and it's it comes out and just you want to check out of life you just want to completely check out but I remember around 19 I was about to go to school to college kind of on the other side of the country I just wanted to get out Um, I had been, I had graduated high school a year early. I had started working full time. My mom made me start paying rent. It was difficult for me to save money. She was always needing money from me. My parents were always taking money from me. If I saved any up, they knew about it and they needed to take it from me. The rules were really strict. My family was very religious. I wasn't allowed to date. My mom didn't allow internet in the home. We homeschooled from like... She pulled us out of school eventually, like in seventh grade, she pulled us out of school. And so then we were like fully under her control and fully under her watch. And it just, it was normal to not make a move without our mother's permission or express command. And so 
when it came time for me to do normal things like go off to college or whatever it was, she would start to siphon the money off. You know, it was always like she needed something. She would, I think she would purposely go broke or spend all my dad's money. So that that's what I think. So that I'd have to write them a big check. And this happened over and over and over again. I was just getting sabotaged over and over and over again. Granted, I was an adult and I was giving them my money, but I didn't know any better at the time. I thought that was my duty as their daughter. And so at one point I finally figured out how to get to school. And my mom said that she would pay the parental portion of the loan, which was like, I think it was like less than 200 bucks a month or something like that. And so I'd, I'd quit my full-time job. I had packed up everything. I was ready to go. And she pulled me aside and she said, you're not going to go to school. Like you can't, we can't pay for this and we're not going to, but what, what I understood it to mean, even though she couldn't pay for it. And I probably, I could have paid for it myself thinking back, like I could have gotten a job somewhere. I could have paid for it myself, but what she was telling me, what I understood her to be telling me was that you're not going to school. You can't leave. And, you know, she was like, you're going to get another job. You're going to start paying rent again. You're going to contribute to this family. So it was just, I felt things like that were said, but it was just understood that that's how things are. You don't make waves. You don't leave. If you leave, you will be cut off, that kind of thing. I had seen it happen with my brother. He left the state and basically he was the black sheep that we weren't allowed to speak to and they didn't want anything to do with. And he was cut off. And I was understanding the psychology of all of that. <laughs> that was like, I fully believed I would die without my family. Like, that's just mm. what I believed internally, even though I could say all day long, like I was independent and, you know, I did, I, I had a full-time job, things like my friends started going to college and I'd go, like my friend was at college up the road and I'd visit her in her dorm room and I'd have to like get permission to go for one thing. And I remember one time my <laughs> friend's dorm mate gave her a really terrible haircut and it needed to be fixed by a professional. Like I could have fixed it, but she was so traumatized by the haircut that we were like, we'll get somebody to fix this for you. And I was the only one with a car. Um, and I had been working and living like working as, you know, full-time and all of this stuff. And they're like, can you drive us? And I just remember I had to, I was 19. And I had to call my mom to ask her if I could take my friend to the salon on a Sunday. And of course it was a Sunday. So she used that as the reason as to why I wasn't allowed to drive my friend to the salon. Mm. It was, it was just like, it was just such utter control. Like, and it was yeah. so embarrassing, but I knew that if my mom had found out that I had done that, there would be hell to pay. Like I could have just gone and pretended ignorance or whatever. And just done the thing like any normal person would. <laughs> but I knew that if she had gotten any wind of the fact, and she had ways of finding out things, it was weird. My mom was not tech savvy at all. If she had been, it would have been over for us. But I knew that if she had found out at all, like I, there would be hell to pay. And I was always trying to avoid that. I was trying to avoid the giant rage reactions and things like that. Yeah, I can... I can definitely relate to that, like that feeling of, I remember feeling like when, when 
someone that say, oh, just stay out another hour longer or something like that. And then I'm like, I'm there like observing like, should I just do it? I know that I have to call. I know that I have to, um, like that feeling that you have to just just do them things. And uh, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, it was just easier to comply because it would make it 150,000 times worse if you didn't. Mm. And, 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 and if you would have just gone, you're a liar, you're a, you know, horrible child or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. you would have just gone on the ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy. Though it's, it's funny because the older we got, the more controlling she got. Um, and there was this, I don't even know what stories to go into, but um, there was this one time that she, I was like, I had had my surgery. Right. And I was, I had had, I was having like failed back syndrome is what was happening. So the surgery I needed, it was an emergency surgery, but what was happening was the adverse effects from post-surgery. So from scar tissue and things like that. And also the psychological weight of my mom constantly telling me I couldn't make it on my own constantly she took control of my everything, my medical care. She wanted to be involved with all of my doctor's visits. She started, my sister started developing symptoms and I didn't know if it was real because every time they would do like a test on her or something like that, like they were like, there's no physical reason why you should be having this pain. So I didn't know if my sister's stuff was like psychosomatic or if she was making it up or, or what, but it got to the point where my mom was like, making our appointments like my sister and I would go in together to like the pain clinic and any doctor's appointment it was always us together and it was always her fully in control of what was happening to us medically which was it was a weird situation to be in it was embarrassing it was um and sorry how how old was he at, at, at this point I was like 23 to oh. yeah so my emergency surgery happened at 22. I physically started kind of going downhill again over the next few months. And then I wasn't able to leave the house from like 23 to 25, other than to go to doctor's appointments. And a lot of that was just, I don't know what that was. Honestly, I was in so much pain. <laughs> like I was in so much physical pain, but I also believe I was being so emotionally and psychologically controlled and abused that my body was just kind of like looking for ways to maybe looking for ways as to why I was held a prisoner I don't know it, but I, I felt was, like a prisoner <laughs> I was just about to say it's like um is it like maybe a lot of it might have been mental like you was just saying like um believing that if, if, if your mother's like, um, oh, your back's really bad or whatever she might be saying slyly, that's going to get into your head and you're going to think, actually, yeah, my back is really bad and I'm not going to be able to. Yeah. Well, and I was down. getting migraines and I think those are psychosomatic a lot of times when there's a lot of anxiety and stress and psychological turmoil. I, my migraines stopped as soon as I left her home. Like they, yeah. they ended. And <laughs> so, um, you know, it wasn't that there wasn't actual injury there and actual pain happening. It's that it all kind of plays into one another. And my greatest example of like what my home was like is if 
you watch the movie Tangled. I know it's a Disney movie. Um, but Mother Gothel and my situation and my sister's situation is like, that is an exact picture of the emotional and psychological manipulation that happens. The, the parent is needing something from the child that the child isn't really aware of. And to lose that child is to like lose to mother Gothel. It was like, she was going to lose the ability to have that magic to keep her youthful. Right. So she needed Rapunzel in that way. She didn't love Rapunzel. Rapunzel was just this thing that she could use. And so I could see as the years went on this grasping and like the need to control everything was just paramount to my mom. And yeah. I mean, it was years, years, years. I lost my twenties to, to all of that because it was kind of like, I was dealing with physical effects probably of emotional and psychological abuse from before, but now I've got the actual like added effect of like, I physically feel incapable and it's really easy to tell me that I'm incapable and all of that stuff because I already feel that way physically. <laughs> so it was just this like, you know, internet wasn't allowed in our home. And at some point I was able to get a laptop and I started, we could use internet like at the library and stuff, but I mean, we had to get permission to go. And it was just me and my sister living in this cloistered little life. Like at one point my mom got us kittens and she like controlled like everything we did. Like she made us get up at 7am every morning and like she kept them in this little penned area. She wouldn't let them roam around the house, which was super weird. Um, but we had to like, it was like she controlled our schedule and everything. And these kittens were an excuse to like make our schedule for the day. It was yeah. strange. It's weird how like narcissists will use like little excuses that seem like normal to hide their like intention. <laughs> It's so so odd. yeah it's really strange and you know that it's strange you know no one else is going through that and yet there's this great need to keep up appearances and make everyone else outside your home think it's normal it's a really strange paradigm and so you know I was getting older and I just I felt like I was either gonna die there or I, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. I I had, I often prayed to die. Like that was, that was it. I just had these like visions of, of dying. I just wanted to die in my sleep. Like that, that was the ultimate for me. You know, I didn't want to kill myself. I was too afraid to do that, but I definitely wanted to die. I didn't want to exist anymore. And was the like idea of getting away just like a no, no for you? I know you said like, the fear of like not having any money or anything like that did you eventually get to a point where it's like anything's better than this is that is that where it went from there yes and I had the support of another person and I think that was a really big deal um so once I I, I hacked some wi-fi from my neighbors like they didn't have it password protected or anything so I was like basically using their wi-fi my mom didn't know and so I started like as I was doing photography and I was trying to do things that kept my mind busy and just creative and so 
I got into this photography group. I met a guy in the UK and he wanted to marry me. And it was, it got, it got to the point where I was like, oh shoot, I'm not going to be able to hide this from my mom anymore. Like he wants to fly over here and like, come get me. I can't hide that. So I broke the news to her. I was 28 years old at this time. Broke the news to her. She immediately, she was like, nice. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but it was like, they would initially like, because you were telling them something like they were like really nice about it and supportive. And then they realized, oh, this means that this could change everything. And then it just, she would, she took over it. And they called this guy up in the UK, both my parents. And they said that he couldn't, he was like 40 years old. (laughs) They said he couldn't have anything to do with me anymore. They confiscated my laptop. I wasn't allowed to use my laptop except at the dining room table during the day anymore. And they were like reading my emails and. Wow. At 28. Yeah. Yeah. At 28. I, I, yeah, I felt like a prisoner. I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go to the coffee shop without permission. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything without permission. And so I, I was brokenhearted at that point. I was like, but mostly because I felt like I was just so trapped. I'm like, how am I ever going to do this? Um, and I lost a ton of weight. I lost like 40 pounds with like almost immediately. It was like, boom, I, was so hopeless. I just felt so hopeless. And about a year and a half later, I met this guy at like the the only coffee shop I was allowed to go to. (laughs) And he wanted to date me so hard. And I was like, you have no idea what this is going to do to my family, to me, if I want to date you, like you have no idea. And he was like, well, I can handle it. And so I got brave and told my mom about this guy And I was like, okay, I'll date him and she can make the rules, right? I'll keep the rules, like whatever. I'll just, she can't not let me date forever. That would be weird. So (laughs) at first I was following the rules, but then it got really confusing and she started like saying one thing and then saying another. So she would be like, yeah, you can go to this thing. And then she would all of a sudden try to like pull it out from under me at the last second and I would have to like call my boyfriend and be like she won't let me go and he's like no 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 we made a plan she said you could go and she'd make me think that she didn't give me permission in the first place it was just a bunch of mind games and the mind games got more severe but because I had someone on the other side of the telephone going no (laughs) this is what happened I it was kind of breaking some of that cognitive dissonance and at one point about six months in, he said, I remember he said, you know, I need to see you out of that house before we can move forward. He's like, I just don't, this isn't a healthy situation. You're being severely abused. Like this isn't okay. And I remember getting permission to stay out later for my 30th birthday. And she wouldn't let me stay out like a half hour later or something like that. And I was like, Like it was just something clicked in me and I was like, I'm 30, Mm. I'm 30 and I'm still, I'm, I have a curfew and I'm, I can't stay out for my birthday. Like this is, this is really crazy. I don't know why that was the line that was like, that's it. But it was, (laughs) unfortunately it, it took till I was 30. Um, but yeah, and it was him, the support of him saying, I see what's going on here and it's not okay. Like that was helpful 
Like it was, it, it, it broke enough of the cognitive dissonance for me to be like, yeah, this isn't okay. And there are steps I need to take to get away from it. it so, yeah. Yeah. If I had no one else in my life knew, and if they did, they only suspected, and they were the type of people that would run away quickly. I found out much later that my mom had been, my mom had like ruined so many people's lives and they were coming to me after they found out I left. And I was like speaking out and saying, this is what happened to me. Like, this is what my family is. And they were coming to me and saying, I'm so glad you're saying this. I'm so glad you woke up to this because she basically like tried to destroy our family or whatever it was like I knew something there was I knew there was something really wrong with your mom and I couldn't quite pinpoint it but I wanted nothing to do with her again which made sense as to why people would come and go from our lives all the time like it was like you know duck on a june bug for so long and then people would just disappear yeah and it was because you know I didn't understand from my viewpoint that people were seeing through her. Mm. I remember with my um, stepdad, it was like, whenever I had to ask for something, I knew that he wouldn't be happy with. I had to build myself up. I had to do this like mental buildup of like, come on, ask him, just go and ask. Yes. And like, like say, say go going to, if I wanted to go to my girlfriend's house, I'd have to build up for it. And she'd be texting me and being like, are you going to ask? And I'm like, uh, not yet. <laughs> and I'm like, trying to build up this courage to go and ask and then like he did I can really relate to what you were saying about changing plans and stuff but what had happened with me was I'd ask and he wouldn't say yes but he wouldn't say no yeah so I'd be like so can I go then and then he'd be like I'll just let you know tomorrow and like proper lose like like get angry so then you're like oh I can't really ask again now I'm gonna have to wait for them to tell me and then like it comes to the day where you're meant to be going and then I'm like should I say something and then like and then maybe plans changed or like anything like that but yeah it was it's it's so weird it is really weird it's a weird thing it's a weird thing especially it's it's weird and yet if you grew up with it it's that's your normal and i was the i was the one i was there are three of us like my two siblings and i was always the one that they would get to ask my mom to do things cuz i knew how to do it and not push um, I don't not, know. The, yeah, yeah. The thing you said, like, not push, it's like walking on eggshells. Like you, you feel yeah. like, like they're getting to that point of, yeah, you can sense that they're getting to that point of losing it. Do you know, you, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I knew when to back so, off. Mm. And I remember one of the first times I like kind of really stood up to my mom was like, I was about 15 or 16 and there was there was some overnighter with one of the homeschool like schools that I went to and she found this like flyer in my backpack of this thing. And she's like, well, what's this? And I, I said, Oh, it's an overnighter that's happening this weekend. I was like, I didn't ask you about it because I knew you wouldn't let us go. And I didn't say it like smart alecky or anything. I just said it like a fact, like I just didn't ask you about it because I knew you wouldn't let us go. And my dad was sitting there and it really pissed her off that my, cause she tried, I think she could hide. I think she thought she could hide her stuff from my dad. Mm. My dad knew she was batshit crazy. Like that's all he, he thought she was just insane. Like 
that's what he called it, but he didn't, I don't think he realized the amount of abuse that we were experiencing fully. I don't know. I mean, I was like, what was, what was your relationship like with your dad? Was it the same? Was it, it was, was strained. Like? My mom was very jealous of my relationship with my dad. So once I hit a certain age, I didn't feel like I could even talk to my dad and it'd be okay because it would come out with this, like, it would just come out in meanness like she would just be more mean to me she would make snide remarks she would try to get me on his bad side or him on my bad side she was always working to split everybody up behind the scenes and that's also what they do they try to control the story going on about everybody else by talking behind their back or making them feel shameful for like whatever it is like I felt shame over wanting a relationship with my dad for some reason wow. <laughs> she just I, I could tell by the way she acted the looks especially narcissistic mothers they give you this specific look and you just know like you know that you're going to be obliterated if mm. you keep going down that path whatever it is <laughs> and did you ever have like the dynamic of him like standing up for you or like saying you know this is not right let him do this or anything like that no it happened a little bit when I was younger. I, when I was about eight, he tried to stand up for me and she made him spank me. It was so embarrassing for both of us. She shoved him in a room with me, their bedroom, and handed him the paddle. And she said, you spank her or else, basically. And I remember my dad standing in front of me and just being like, I got to do this. It was just the most embarrassing thing ever. But she wanted to create this, like, he needs to be the bad guy in her eyes, too. And, like, how dare he stand up for her? That kind of a thing. So, I and my dad's very, like, you know, you don't get divorced for any reason other than, you know, cheating or whatever. Like, it was not, divorce was never on his radar. And, which is why he told me shortly before I left their home, like, it was just a couple of weeks before I left he told me in secret that he had wished that she were dead mm. and I then I realized I'm like this is this my, my dad's just been waiting this out their whole marriage he literally feels like he's stuck mm. and also he hasn't stood up for his kids so I have no respect for him anymore <laughs> yeah like there must be some anger there like there's a point where you might hold off for yourself you know, but if it's if you see your kids getting trapped like that or abused like that, then that, I feel like that's if if you did see it, then that's a point where you know you've got to step in. You know, however you feel about it. Yeah, mm. yeah. I just and I know a lot of that stuff from his past and his. I mean, that's how his family operated. His mother was very abusive, and he would constantly tell me when I was younger, he was like, this is what my dad used to do for us. He'd take us on walks, and we would talk about how crazy our mom was, and then we'd go back and just be a normal family. Like, that was what he learned about what you do when stuff like that is going on in the family. You talk about the other parent to the kids <laughs> and let them vent or whatever and vent to them, which is parentification and it's abuse. And, <laughs> and everyone's holding that stuff and they just keep eating it yeah. and that's not okay. Um, and so do you remember like the moments 
where maybe maybe like the first moments where you thought I've had enough now and I'm going to stand up to her. Um, you remember the the first moments that happened. Yeah, and I it, by that point I was like so it was I was so like any fight was kind of just beaten out of me, you know. And I I think she she knew that I knew she knew that I knew like what this was whatever whatever it was she knew that I so the interesting thing was she gave me this book called foolproofing your life after she broke me up with this guy in the UK and basically she was telling me by this like you don't know how to choose good relationships for yourself you know you need to learn how to like choose the right relationships or whatever and so I started reading this book in like the description of the person that you're supposed to like not have anything to do with is my mother. And I remember telling my dad, like, cause he saw me reading it one day and I was like, dad, like mom is in this book. We had enough of an understanding with each other that like, I could say things like that to him and know that like he knew <laughs> unless it was in front of her and then he was going to stand up for her. Yeah. It was a very duplistic way of living, but I knew I could say that to him and he would understand it. But what I was trying to get across to him was like, why are we all playing into this? My ex-husband, who I was dating at the time when I left, he used to say, you all, you've all been feeding this monster all these years. And I used to get, I used to be so confused because I'm like, I'm not feeding the monster. She's just my mom, you know? And it was really, it was, it was victim blaming at that point for him to do that. But in a way he was right. We, we were all playing our roles the way that she wanted us to. And it kept her kind of getting this power from us, you know? And so reality wasn't really a part of my mom's world. Like she couldn't, the only time that, you know, it, it was threatening to her was when the veneer was cracking and people could start to see. And if anyone started to say something, she just cut them out. She just cut them off. If they started to say, this is, it's, it's strange. I remember one lady at church thought it was really strange how we all sat together the way we did as old as we were. And like, my mom was always, she always had her hands on us. She was always like patting us, just constant, like just constant stuff. And this one lady mentioned it at church and she's like, I don't like how you're always doing that with your girls. And (laughs) my mom just like wanted nothing to do with her after that point. Um, but I'm like, it had to have been strange for people to see it. You know, we were in a church that was pretty culty, but um, <laughs> still, it was just strange. And when she could see that that veneer was cracking for people, it would really freak her out. So I think she saw by my just insisting that I keep, you know, I'm going to do this anyway. Like, and then when I told her I was moving out, like she had, she lost all I could just see her deflate. Like she was just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And as soon as I was like, I found a place and I'm moving out. It was, she had no power left and she quit speaking to me. So it was like a few weeks before I was going to move in. And like, I still needed to pack up my stuff and silence, utter silence from her. She just wouldn't even look at me or speak to me. Wow. It was over at that point. Mm. So it's like, she wanted to just keep you there just to have that like thing of control like it's 
it's an it's it's a part of life that kids move out and um and get their own life and stuff and it's it's just so odd that she just hung on to that like she she must have had a real fear of having nothing to control and um yeah yeah for sure for sure and I've you know I've tried to understand it over the years I've tried to I made excuses for it when I was younger um you know but it just I see it now is it's her illness and it was wrong <laughs> it was wrong to be happening um and that's why I tell my story because there can be so much cognitive dissonance around this is my parent, this is my family, this is how we operate, and this is wrong. Like I don't, I don't, something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong, but it's all wrong. And um, it is. If if you don't feel like you can be yourself, and if you don't feel like you're progressing naturally the way that your peers around you are, and that you're getting more freedom as you get older, not less that's a problem. That's not okay. They don't love you. They're not trying to protect you. They're trying to protect themselves. And <laughs> so like, that's, that's the biggest thing. And you don't want to be 30 and leaving home for the first time. Like you just, you don't, it sucks. <laughs> and what, what was it like when you left? Cause I'm, I'm intrigued because all that time, like until you was 30, like usually people have got create like huge life experience when they're 30 like they've had numerous yeah. jobs or whatever they've moved, moved house about five times or whatever yeah um what, what what did it feel like to get out of that it was you know I it wasn't like this night and day difference it was it was all still pretty you know I still wished my mom would talk to me like she quit she shunned me at that point, like I was being shunned. So I had, I was going through a lot of, I felt a lot of guilt over that. I still felt like what's wrong with me that my mom won't talk to me. I'm, this is normal. What's happening. I should be moving out and having my own life. Um, and so I immediately got into therapy. Like I think my first week, <laughs> I think I was scheduled for another back surgery because my disc had exploded again under all the stress <laughs> and so I moved out and like within a week or two, I was having surgery and then I recovered on my own because my mom still wasn't speaking to me because I wouldn't let her have control of that situation. Um, she, she had such a crush on my doctor too. Like she was mad that she didn't get to be there. Um, <laughs> I was just like, I was glad I didn't have to deal with the embarrassment of that. Like my mom flirting with my, my surgeon. Um, just weird stuff like that. So in a way it was gradual. It was like chipping away. It was like realizing the freedom that I did have gradually. And when I got into therapy, my, the premise for me to be in therapy was I have a difficult relationship with my mother. What do I do to fix it? That was it. That was why I was in therapy. And it took a couple of years. It took a while for my therapist to like get it into my head that you don't have a a problem like it's not you and you know what's happening to you is abusive like I for the longest time I was like no I'm not being abused that's it's not abuse like my mom just has a really hard time letting go or she's really controlling that kind of a thing mm. um so I had still had a lot of cognitive dissonance over that 
and I was getting married. Like I got engaged like that year after I left and I was getting married and I, I was a stepmom all of a sudden. So I just kind of, it wasn't ever really like I had this like single life and I, I lived out loud. It was kind of like, I was my difficult, my difficult relationship with my ex-husband was in a way it felt like home. And so I was constantly working on that and trying to make the marriage work and trying to figure out how to be a stepmom. And, um, I went back to my therapist and my marriage and I was like, this is really hard. I don't know what's going on. And I would tell him things. And he's like, this sounds very familiar. Like, this is a lot like your family. This is a lot like, he sounds a lot like your mother. Like, um, and did that develop over time as well? Was that not like, cause is, is this the same one that you was talking to about your mother? The, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think he knew, I think he knew the behavior so well because in a way he could kind I think it ran in his family pretty well. And I think he could see it. Um, and my, my ex-husband is just a complete avoidant. Like he did not like talking about things. And I, I, I kind of hit marriage and life going, I want to figure this out. I want to figure life out. I want to figure out why it's so hard. I had no problem like looking into things. And that really bothered my parents too, that I was seeing a psychologist. Psychologists were a no-no in my family. You do not have somebody looking under the hood. You do not have somebody looking into your family dynamics because that's a betrayal of the family. Like you're basically bad-mouthing your family if you're dealing with your stuff. I think that frustrated my my ex-husband on so many levels because he wanted to avoid everything. And... I finally, like five years later, I realized that my mom was never going to change. And I was, I was struggling in my marriage and I was like, I couldn't figure out why my mom was like causing, you know, she, she caused a, a division between me and my sister. And we had always been really close. Like as soon as I moved out, like my sister started believing I was her enemy, which was really strange to me because I didn't, (laughs) that wasn't our story. And my mom had somehow gotten in her head that I was her worst enemy. And so I kind of was losing my sister at the same time. And my mom needed everything really close or and was there much like dialogue between you and your mom at that point or was that just broken Not down? Not very much. No. It was very superficial. And I would try to like be normal and like have them over for dinner once in a while. I think I had them over for dinner once the whole time. And it, it was just weird and awkward. And like they came over for my birthday one time. And of course, I got the typical like gifts that my mom liked for my birthday. And it was just... <laughs> It was really strange. And she, of course she made some cutting remarks and like things that weren't very kind, but like couched in something really nice, it, just that kind of a thing. And I, I wasn't, I didn't really want that kind of thing in my life anymore. And so it just felt very superficial. And I started writing about stories from my past, just writing them because I needed to, like a part of me was like, this is what's made me me. And this is what happened in my past. And this is where I learned, you know, how to become adaptable and things like that. And because my parents didn't have internet, my sister would go to the library and print off my blogs and then bring it home to my parents. And they would like go through them with a fine tooth comb. Like they, they had them all marked up with pen and everything. And, um, 
they called me one day and said that I shouldn't be writing anymore. And they did, they didn't approve of me writing. And <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but like, I'm not going to stop writing. Um, and then they stopped talking to me altogether, like absolute silence for eight months, nothing like not the superficial texts, nothing. And so I called them and I was like, look, I'm calling to see like why you've been so silent. I don't understand why writing about my life is a problem. Like, is there any way we can come to some kind of understanding? And everything blew up. It was an hour and 40 minute phone call. I have it recorded where they told me that I was the reason for all the problems in the family. They wanted nothing to do with me. They wished I hadn't been born. Um, I was a horrible wife. I was a horrible stepmom, all of these things. And everything I heard in that call was like stuff I already knew. Cause they, even though they didn't say those things explicitly when I was growing up, I knew that I knew they wished I hadn't been born, <laughs> but now they were saying it outright. And I was just like, huh, okay. And I had no fight in me anymore. And I just, I hung up from that call and I never called them again and they've never called me again. Wow. And then I left my ex-husband <laughs> <laughs> like months later or something like that. I hear, I hear a lot like where victims of narcissistic abuse, a lot of them get into relationships with the same dynamic. I wonder if there's like, there should be like a scientific study on that. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to resolve our our parent-child relationship. We we think subconsciously and unconsciously, I'm going to be able to fix this this time around. I'm going to be able to get the love that I was needing from from a very from an archetype, right? From someone who's like really similar and this time it's going to work. And that's the stuff we need to be really aware of when we're I didn't know any of this when I left my home. But Anyone who is leaving a situation needs to really, really take the time to understand who's actually good for them. Because I think relationship, healing happens within relationship. I definitely do. I think relationship is really key to healing our, our wounds from childhood. Um, we just have to be really, really careful about who it is we're pairing up with. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be that reprogramming of, you know, this is my existing schema of of a person uh of of some that of someone that is supposed to love me uh, and that's what i believe you know that person should be like and i guess you've like i say you've got to reprogram that to to what real love is and what a real relationship should be like what a healthy relationship should be like yeah yeah and we just don't know those things and and we're we're not present enough with ourselves or grounded enough to even know even what we're feeling many times in the moment and when you're with somebody who is more narcissistic or or has this way of kind of like love bombing you in the beginning you, the signals going off in your brain are like this is love like it feels like a high and we need to be careful of those highs <laughs> really yeah um and so you, you mentioned you were like writing all all the stories down and stuff is that what like led you into um like the podcast and things like that what what, what led you up to doing what you're doing now 
Yeah, it eventually led to that. I, I at first I was writing my story from a stamp, like they were more like memoir type, just remembering things, just the story themselves. And then I started uh, my Instagram blog at Run Gazelle Run uh, a couple years ago, two and a half, maybe three years ago. I just started writing my experience from the understanding that this this was narcissistic abuse. And I would kind of write my experiences as they were happening too, like what I was learning, what I was healing from. I was going through a lot of anxiety and like panic attacks at one point and just kind of writing what that's like and also what I was doing to move through that. I don't want to say get over it because get we don't really get over these things. We work through them and they they work themselves out. They they're there for a reason. <laughs> and we can't just kind of sidestep why they're happening. And so I was having a lot of panic attacks, a lot of flashbacks. This was after my divorce, even. This was like a couple years after I went no contact with my family. It was all kind of coming out in different ways. And so I was writing those experiences. And I, I stopped worrying so much about, you know, acquaintances, mutual acquaintances, knowing what, what my family, like me calling it what it was. Like I stopped worrying about that um, so much. I mean, it, there have been times when I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should say that, but that it's, it's the truth. Like, and I don't, I don't want to hide the truth because that's how we stayed in those abusive situations to begin with was trying to keep it all under wraps and trying to like make it all look and feel normal. So I kind of just, I kind of wanted to peel back the layers of like what this looks like as you're figuring it out and as you're going through it. And then I started the podcast this last year, finally. And I, I do enjoy your podcast. It's really good. Like I said earlier, Thanks. you've got you've got a good podcast podcasting voice. It sounds very oh, professional. Thank you. <laughs> and 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 it's it's really helpful as well. I found it really helpful and relatable mm. at points as well. Um, mm. And you've had great guests on. Uh, so yeah, check out check out your podcast. Yeah, and, check out uh, Love Me Lab. Yeah, Love Me Lab. Um, you're on Spotify, uh, iTunes. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much all the places. Thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing your story. Um, yeah. I'm sure it'll be help, yeah, helpful to many people. So, oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on.